the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And today is... December 19th. What's our holiday? It's National Hard Candy Day. (laughs) Ew, you would like that one. And you might ask... What is that potentially how to deal with true crime? But if you do a search on the internet for can you stab somebody with a sharpened candy cane, candy cane, uh, you will get a lot of responses. Actually, this is this question has been posed on Quora. It's been posed on Reddit. And there have actually been a man who has stabbed somebody with a decorative candy cane uh, store display. But there was also a woman who actually stabbed a man with a candy cane. So to death. No, not to death. Oh. <laughs> Jack's like, well, we're going to rectify that right there. I'm going to go buy some candy canes. Well, yeah. uh, you can also choke on a jawbreaker, and that's a hard candy. You can cho- choke on any hard candy. I'm sure, sure there have been Toddlers many child deaths via hard candy. It's also National Oatmeal Muffin Day, which really does not. I mean, this is, you know, it, it, it's like there's a muffin day, and there's probably an oatmeal day. Why do we need an oatmeal muffin day? But like, at least us, make a chocolate give us chip your muffin. Best. Happy Muffin Day. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Okay, so if you guys haven't listened to part one of Jonestown, turn this off right now. Go listen to our last episode or else this would make no sense to you because we're jumping right in to the middle of the Jonestown massacre. And where we left off, Jim Jones has successfully lured his flock down to Guyana They've spent 18-hour days building this community in the middle of the jungle, and they're all isolated and sort of stranded down there. They don't have their passports. There's no communication. And Jim Jones is, like, ramming his religion down their throats in a way. Let's use religion in quotations. (laughs) Jim Jones is ramming his nonsense. Jim Jones is ramming himself (laughs) down their throats in a way. in other places as well. He's blasting his voice on loudspeakers. Religion... That's a very loose term. I take it back, but that's what he was doing. So that's where we left off. They're here. They're starting to draw some attention from the United States because some of the members, family members, are getting concerned. But we're going to get right back into where we left off now. And again, those who lived there, they had no radios, no phones, nothing to read. Remember, no internet. They lived... No internet. No, no internet. No. Uh, they, they had very little to eat, too, and everybody starts getting skinny. They're should, basically eating rice, but the only person that's actually gaining weight down there is Jim Jones. Oh, shocker. Jones has his own house. He's got a fridge full of Coca-Cola. He's got his his concubines. He's got all the food that he wants, and he's constantly holding court as he preaches while people are kind of you know working in the sun. And the thing that keeps going on are the white night drills, which are the drills where he's waking people up in the middle of the night, giving them the cups of Kool-Aid and saying that you drink this and we're all going to commit suicide. We've discussed this before. Even if people wanted to leave, which many did, they they were way too petrified to try. Because imagine it's like they were told there were natives in the jungle who would kill them. The punishments and manipulation had been increasing steadily. And you have to realize some people arrive there the first day and were miserable and were like, what the hell did I sign up for? But there was no way for them to go. And not only that, it's like if you spoke out against Jim Jones in any form or fashion, you would get punished and beaten and bloodied. So it's like you're just trapped and you're like, you kind of give up your will to fight against it. Yeah. But in the beginning, when Jonestown was kind of being built from the ground up, people were coming and going. There were a lot more trips to Georgetown. Uh, to get supplies, to to kind of build the foundation and some of the logistical things. So word did get back here and there. It's like, holy shit, this is not what I signed up for. I'm f***ed. The rumors of the atrocities caught the attention of a pretty hard-charging maverick congressman named Leo Ryan. Now, Leo was a Democrat, and he had once uh, been incarcerated in Folsom. So he knows what the prison conditions are like. He actually went to Canada to investigate the hunting of baby seals. So he's 
an idealist, but he's also from the same area where a lot of the constituents are from, and they had family members, and those family members had been hearing things. So Ryan became involved in the People's Temple issue after hearing his constituents' concerns that their relatives were possibly being held against their will in Jonestown. He wrote a letter to Jim Jones requesting an invitation to visit, and initially Jones and his followers opposed it, but they later agreed to let him come down and see what was going on. This is interesting. I think the opposition is interesting in that his initial gut instinct was like, holy shit, he's going to expose me. Yeah. Do we think that his eventual agreement to let them come was like... Well, we'll show them the way. Well, do you think that's when they started designing their North Korean show? That's what I'm saying. It it reminds me exactly of that documentary. It was the Vice one when the guy, Ryan Duffy, I think it was, went Mm -hmm. to North Korea, where it was like, all right, well, I guess we're going to do this and put on this, like, song and dance and make it seem like it's this amazing utopia, but it was all an act. Congressman Ryan decides to go once he gets the the okay to do so. And he travels to Jonestown accompanied by several journalists and a few relatives of People's Temple members. So they flew down there on a small twin-engine prop plane. And when the congressman, Leo Ryan, gets there with the media members and the family, they're all welcomed with open arms and they're kind of seeing this like really quaint farm community where everyone seems really happy. And they start speaking with the members and everyone seems really happy to be there, but almost in a rehearsed fashion Mm. where it's like people are saying like, I love it here, but they look dead inside. They're literally like looking at him like, give me the hell out of here. Exactly. And like we said already, it's it's very similar to like an enslaved society, yeah. uh, like we talked about with North Korea, where it's like, you know, you've seen those videos of children with four smiles doing interpretive Korean dance mm-hmm. for the tourists. It makes you sick. I want to point out, too, there's a uh, video footage of this. Yeah. At Lee Ryan's visit. And you can see what he saw where they've got like a singer on the stage, tons of food everywhere, which they obviously, you know, people were like starve emaciated yeah. um it's incredible so while they're while he's there and it's pretty chilling because there's video of this because he had a cameraman with him i think that all of you know that i'm here to find out more about uh, questions that have been raised about your operation here but i can tell you right now that from the few conversations i've had with some of the folks here already this evening that uh, whatever the comments are there are some people here who believe that this is the best thing that ever happened in their whole life And you see Ryan sort of almost, you know, he's seeing everything and he's saying, okay, it looks okay here, kind of. And then people are not able to speak out. But what they start doing is they start slipping him notes Mm -hmm. and they start saying, please, we want to go home. Please take us with you. And they're scared to speak out because if if they don't get to go home and they're left there with homeboy, crazy man, sunglass wearer. They're going to get beaten to a bloody pulp in front of everybody and mocked. So they're right. afraid to like get caught in speaking up. Oh my god, no! It's probably the most terrifying. Would be the most humiliating. But just think about world. what they felt. Where this guy Ryan has come. This is my only ticket out. Yeah, every I, I have. This is the only way to be saved. I'm going to do it. And they knew. They knew that if they were going to be caught handing a note or something that they were going to get punished for that and possibly even killed or who, who knows. But yeah. they were just so desperate that they said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try and do this and, and hand them notes. One of the reporters ended up confronting Jim with one of these notes and things were getting super tense in the whole situation as the congressman and the media are confronting Jim Jones about everything that's been going on. And he was probably like, oh, I'm caught. So somebody from the People's Temple pulls a knife on the congressman, but it ends up getting intervened and he was saved. It wasn't really hurt. I think he had a couple scratches on him, but that was it. So at that time, they knew it was time for them to get out of there. And some of the People's Temple members decided to leave with them to finally escape. So their group left and raced back to the Port Kituma airstrip, and they were feeling super grateful to have made it out of this situation alive. But that's when things start happening yeah so there was a uh, the guy's name was don sly uh, the guy that pulled the knife on him and that was even that was obviously it was time to go yeah and 15 members 
of the the uh, the Guyana troop were like, okay, please take us with you. They're like, yes, come on. The journalists go. So we're talking about journalists and a congressman and 15 members, and they go to this airstrip. Congressional aides. Like, it's all very reputable. Mm -hmm. They did not expect to be in danger. Like, no one had been hurt in Jonestown, nothing like that. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus, and I couldn't practice enough, and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree 50 at factorymeals.com slash degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on the realreal.com. The real real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. I think this is the point where things are just getting out of control. I don't think any violence has happened, the attempted murder, but you can hear that things are getting out of control. So the energy is anything but calm. Teeming with contempt. Jim Jones felt at this time that he was losing his power. This whole thing was spinning out of control, and his people were slowly speaking out against him. People were trying to leave Jonestown, this thing he had built with his bare, bloodied hands. And as soon as the congressman left with defectors, Jones saw this as an incredible betrayal, and he called his bodyguards to go after them and kill the entire group and stop them from leaving. I mean, this guy was not letting these people get away with this. Mm-mm. Well, because if they got away, they're going to tell the world what's really happening Absolutely. Down there. And so the entourage that included Leo Ryan and the media and the defectors were waiting at the airstrip because, remember, Leo Ryan and the media came in one plane and they left with almost double the people they arrived with. So mm-hmm. they needed another tiny plane. So they were at the airstrip waiting for the second plane to come. And it does arrive and it lands. And everyone's so relieved. And everyone's like, okay, we're actually getting out of here. 
Leo Ryan and the media were never worried. As soon as they got out of Jonestown, they're like, we're at the airport. We're fine. They're not going to come after us. But the defectors were like, you don't understand. This isn't over. And they didn't believe them. So as they're loading into the second plane... The cameraman filmed some of this, and it's, it's horrifying. So... Jones had called on what he called his Red Brigade, which were his his troops, his SS, whatever you want to call them. And they drove in a, uh, a tractor and a trailer and began the, – the vehicle screeched up to the airstrip, pulled up to them. They popped up from the bed of the truck, and they just start shooting at them with assault rifles. And people are getting hit one by one. Some are pretending that they're dead when they're laying there. You hear screams rapid gunfire then all of a sudden it stops and the vehicle goes away when the shooting ends five people are dead and they were ryan don harris the cameraman bob brown san francisco examiner photographer greg robinson and one temple member patricia parks so while all this chaos is happening at the airstrip jim jones is like oh shit this this is the end. So he was gathering everybody around and he's saying, this is it. It's time for the revolutionary, quote unquote, suicide. Everything was crashing down for him. He had these murders at the airstrip. He knew he wasn't going to get out alive. Like this is this is the end of the road for him. So he started telling all the members we're all going down together. Remember, this was not at least initially any moment of hysterics for the members. They'd been through this They're many like, times. Oh, another f- kool-aid thing another fake exactly and this is what gave him his power and the people that were back at the compound probably didn't even know that happened i'm assuming no he told them he told them tell them he did tell them but i at first i don't think i think he corralled everybody like he had his red bloodsmen whatever you called them red brigade red Red brigade i kind of like that he had the red brigade corral everyone with their automatic rifles and get them all into one place and get them uh docile and submissive the vats of kool-aid which is not kool-aid uh are being porn poured porn porned poured kool-aid porn and Porn. So everybody is in a super vulnerable position because they're out of, they haven't dispersed. Mm-mm. You know, if you heard this over the loudspeaker, you'd f-ing run for your life. But I'm sure it was like, this is a regular thing we always do. That's what I'm saying. He probably like diminished the severity of oh, what just happened at the totally airstrip. He was probably make- just like, oh, Congressman Ryan didn't really leave. Once, or- he was, once they were surrounded with guns. Yeah. Like, hey guys, so actually this happened. This is it now. Yeah. And people start to slowly the the hysterics the hysteria, start to yeah. spread. And I seriously cannot imagine what that was like. The energy of more than 900 people realizing they're about to die. Jim Jones Jr. was supposed to be there. He was in a neighboring town, but that didn't stop his father from calling him and trying to convince him to kill himself even though he wasn't there. I had gone into Georgetown from Jonestown uh, to do public relations, I think in August or maybe a little bit beforehand. Um, At the same time, my future wife at the time came in with me, and we got married on October 1st, my birthday, because we were, uh, my wife at that time was pregnant and was going to have a baby. But while I was in there, I was being taught public relations, and an idea that my brother Tim had talked to the sports information officer was to have a basketball tournament. And so I was setting that up in Georgetown. The night previous, November 17th, uh, Congressman Ryan came over to the Georgetown compound and talked to us, the basketball team and some other um, leadership figures in, in Georgetown, about why he was going out to visit Jonestown. And, again, he had had heard different uh, stories, and he wanted to go out and investigate. And, actually, we were quite excited, the fact that he was going out there. The day of the 18th, my father had radioed in to the leadership in Georgetown, and they had had gotten me and had me come downstairs to the radio room, and he had told me that they were going to visit uh, Mr. Frazier, which was a code word for revolutionary suicide. My argument right then started with my father with, is there something else we can do? I mean, we don't need to go there. And then my father's response was, 
you have to be a part of visiting angels and, um, you know, exact revenge here on this that causes to do that. First of all, the parents were instructed to kill their children first. I mean, just think of that. He warns them uh, all not to tell the children that they're about to die, so not to frighten them. So for many in Jonestown, the children were the only thing that was keeping them going. And Jones knew that once these parents laid eyes on all these dead kids, they would have nothing else to live for and they would kill themselves more willingly. But I think they were going to they were going to anyway. I mean, he had such a control over these people and the people that weren't going to do it. He had people with guns there and he was also willing to shoot them up and and take it himself. You know, he was also willing to shoot them with uh, with the drugs instead of having them drink it. And if the parents refused, the guards were forcibly taking the children from their parents arms and killing them. So you have to think about you've got the parents that are killing their kids because this guy's telling him to. And you've got the parents that are saying, no, no, no. But then you've also got these guards and these guards are they're saying, yes, yes, they're yes. saying, let's we're going to do this and we're going to be, you know, ridiculously complicit. You've got one guy that's telling them what to do, who obviously has is a, a psychopath or a sociopath, however you want to define him. He's on a lot of drugs. But what about everybody else? And everybody else is just going along, you, you know. I mean, they're not, though. Yeah, they're not. I mean, if they are, they're victim of, like, years of coercion. Well, and that's the thing. Some people are trying to run away, and the people that were trying to run away get shot in the back. Some people pretended not to drink the poison, and some people ran to huddle with their family as syringes of the poison were shot into their backs. Like, there was no way that anybody was getting out alive. And people were dropping dead one by one. Everyone who had taken the poison was foaming at their mouths, and Mr. Muggs was killed. They shot Mr. Muggs instead of just letting him go out. Why did you have to kill Mr. Mutt? Well, he probably, I mean, if he was like a, he was a constituent. But if he was domesticized, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have lived anyways. What is that word you said? Domesticized. Oh, okay. I didn't hear you. Domesticated. Is domesticized a word? It probably isn't. I thought it was domesticated. He was domesticated. That's why I was like, what'd you say? Excuse me? Domesticized. He was domesticated. So he would have... But that that is so cool. (laughs) You should see Billy's face right now, guys. He's like, we got him on a word. That wasn't a real word. Unfortunately, Jim Jones got way more glory than he deserves in the fact that people like dehumanize his followers. They drink the Kool-Aid, this, that, whatever. But it really wasn't that. Like this was not a let's die for Jim Jones moment. It was the opposite. Jim Jones was losing everything, one member at a time. I mean, his grasp on some of these followers was coming loose like day by day. And when people stood up to him face to face in front of Leo Ryan, which is what happened, people walked off like, I'm leaving, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that ever really happened. And he was like, holy shit. And it was enough to push him over the edge to do this grand thing and attacking and shooting those at the airstrip. And he couldn't, he was losing it. And he had to be like, okay, I got to do my grand now, th- this was- notorious thing now or I'm going to be cast out into the like not remembered in the future type this, shit. This is a spiral. And oh, yeah. oh, it's, he, it's he thought control. he could control it. And he was trying to control it, and he had all this stuff, and he had the kids singing, and he had everything, and then it just started spiraling out of control more and more. And he he felt like, yes, he felt like he was backed into a corner like a scared animal, and what is he going to do? He's going to activate the White Knights. Oh, absolutely. We couldn't make contact with Jim by the radio. The, the, The radio had gone silent. So a few of us got into the, a van and we drove over to the U.S. Embassy and banged on the door uh, asking us to let, to let us in or send us out to J- Jonestown so we could stop this. And again, uh, from the code, um, uh, we're going to visit Mr. Frazier. We had um, identified that they were going to commit revolutionary suicide. The U.S. Embassy did not even open the door. Um, they, they didn't even acknowledge that we were there. So then we went over to the Pegasus Hotel where Leo, Leo Ryan's contingent was staying, and we were asking them if they knew what was happening. So, you know, it, it became a crazy time. I don't know if right decisions are made or right wrong decisions. I know the first decision was to go to the embassy and try to have them send us out to Jonestown so we could stop it. And I think from there, we, we were just trying to gather information on what was going on, if that makes sense to you. 
Okay, guys, so we know you recognize Jim Jones Jr. from part one, but now we're going to start incorporating the perspective of our other first-degree guest, Jordan Velchez, and her story is just as compelling. So throughout the rest of the episode, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between both. I joined People's Temple uh, with my older sister when I was 12 years old. And I moved up to Redwood Valley, lived there, uh, from there moved to San Francisco, and from San Francisco went to Guyana. And I happened to have survived, but my sisters and my nephews died. Well, I was in Georgetown at the time, and there was a woman who was in contact with Jonestown and on the radio. And uh, she happened to be the the mother of my friend Leanne. And uh, she uh, came out of the radio room and let everyone in who was there at, at the house know what was happening and gave us the instructions to do the same thing. But um, obviously we were far enough removed from what was happening there to... Um, not even consider harming ourselves or killing ourselves. Which is insane, but the only thing more miraculous than the fact that Jim Jones was able to do this was the fact that there were some incredible, incredible stories of survival and escape that go largely unnoted. And one is that hours before the events unfolded, a group of 11 temple members, including a mother and her three-year-old son, walked 35 miles to escape, claiming that they were going on a picnic. So they let people leave to go on picnics? I think it was before those tents. It was before the tents shit. No, but even so, remember when they were like... I think it's like, we're going over there. I think they just <laughs> yeah. slipped out in the chaos. Like I don't maybe they it, thought that they're still like on the compound in some, Jonestown I mean, or something. it worked. I mean, I think probably they only had so many uh, of their blood guards... <laughs> That like Red Brigade, Blood Brigade, <laughs> that Red Brigade, Red Brigade that it's okay. like okay, they probably wanted to go after them at some point, but like the weird scuffle with Leo Ryan was happening, so they couldn't. Spare <laughs> a little them. bit more important, exactly. So yeah. I'm sure, like, okay, it's not like you can call in enforcements, yeah. And there were other people who survived. Two men, Stanley Clayton and Odell Rhodes, they were able to bypass the armed security through a combination of of luck and deception. Three other Temple members, Mike Prokes and brothers Tim and Mike Carter, they were sent on a mission by Jones to by Jones's aide actually to deliver a suitcase of money to the Soviet embassy. So they were he was still kind feeling, of thinking feeling. he was yeah. still trying to think that maybe we might be able to do this and get out alive. Get out alive with the Soviets. We'll give money to them. Maybe they'll give us they'll send us a plane. They'll give us harbor or something like that. Because I can leave all these dead uh, followers and yeah. I'll peace out and start anew in the Soviet. Uh, and there were also many followers at the outpost in Georgetown and the uh, the Church of San Francisco headquarters who were told to commit suicide, but they didn't. So do we know if anybody did that was not really on the premise? I don't think so. No? I haven't heard that. I can't say with certainty, but I do not believe so. Which like really goes to show how much this was not a mass suicide because if all of these people were such loyal followers of him, then everybody that was in all these the places that were not in the actual Jonestown would have also quote unquote committed no, suicide it's, it's, as well. Really I mean his point. sons were like hell no. Yeah, even if his son was like his no. son was like just I think just a little separation. Well, it's just it, it just goes to show that it wasn't it wasn't because of their loyalty. It was because they were literally forced. So one of the most amazing, incredible stories of survival was this elderly woman named Hyacinth Thrash, and she slept through the entire thing. <laughs> like, I what to kind of ambient were you on? Holy moly. The right kind of Kool-Aid. Damn. She woke up the next morning and walked over to a senior citizen's building, and she saw bodies covered in sheets and her sister was one of the uh, people among the dead and in her memoir the onlyest one alive she recalled there were all those dead bodies being put in bags people I'd known and loved God knows I'd never want to be here in the first place I never wanted to go to Guyana to die I didn't think Jim would have done such a thing like that he let us down Ooh, that makes me sad I know. there's I don't know that many names of these like 
to hear somebody's story and somebody's emotion is so unique when you talk about Jonestown because it's like they're all grouped together. Imagine walking up after taking an amazing nap <laughs> and that's the shit that you see your sister dead. Like in so many, all the survivors lost family. They were all an extended family. Oh, of course. And um, yeah, it's totally heartbreaking. So we can just imagine what Jim Jones Jr. experienced and what Jordan also experienced. I mean, Jim Jones Jr.'s wife was there. Um, she was pregnant with her baby and his father and I think seven members of his immediate family and I mean he considered them all to be extended family so just imagine them all going in one foul swoop yes I mean something that huge is it doesn't hit you right away um, it, you know, only over time do you realize, uh, you know, days had passed when, um, it was known as to how many people were actually uh, gone. And, uh, so, uh, it was, it was very confusing and, um, shocking and surprising. And so, you know, all of the emotions that come with loss, you know, came over time. When you think about more than 900 corpses, it's kind of a hard thing to imagine, but helicopters flew over Jonestown and they described many people had different similes and metaphors for kind of like what they saw. One guy said it was like confetti, like just oh, different God. colors and um, because they're bright clothing and you just don't even know what you're looking at. And a lot of people said it looks like a bunch of people sleeping. <sighs> and you see a bunch of people holding hands, clutching each other. I can't imagine seeing that much death and sadness in one place. You can see the footage, which I've seen, and it is unbelievable. I mean, it's pretty. I feel like there's probably more footage for Jonestown than there is for pretty anything much anything else. else, just because they recorded everything and documented everything and he could love the, the sound of his own f***ing voice so much it's interesting that all the uh, cult leaders do this father yo did it too he's like you're my archivist you're gonna record and document everything <laughs> there this is a fun fact that i forgot to mention earlier about jim jones that apparently like so he had um like a microphone in his like really nice room that he lived in and he would just go in there and like start talking which would go on the loudspeakers and they said that sometimes when people were like over it they just like wouldn't turn it on <laughs> so he would just like talk to himself and it would just like wouldn't go anywhere we've had enough of your voice and you saying the most most ridiculous gibberish no, we're literally in the jungle <laughs> alone no. without a shower we're good on you. It's hard for us to even imagine what that many bodies looks like. So let's hear from our first degree guests in what it was like for them to find out that many people they knew were dead. We first heard that there was only 500 people dead. And so we had hope. We had hope that some people ran out in the jungle, survived, and what have you. So there was a lot of hope. Tim Jones, my brother, and John Cobb, were uh, identified um, to go out and um, identify bodies. And at that time, there was 300 bodies under the 500, and it was clearly identified that everyone was dead. I, When you ask me how did I feel, imagine losing everything at one time. Uh, imagine everything you dreamed about, everything you learned about, everything that you had held value was gone. And... I think that's the only way I can describe it. When I came back, it was, you know, really awful to have to be subjected to uh, that in the newspapers and, and articles and to have to see that um, so much. Uh, yeah, it was it was very hard. I think that one of the things that's really important for people to understand is that what happened there didn't happen willingly. It was over time that people became, were in such a state that uh, such a thing could occur. And of course, being isolated and influenced in so many ways made for a pretty impossible situation for people to survive. I consider the whole thing murder because no one really wants to kill themselves. 
Well, a lot of people realize the tragedy that is the Jonestown massacre and how many bodies were there and seeing all of them in the footage and in the sadness that obviously emanated from that kind of loss. A lot of people don't realize what a huge undertaking it was to deal with the dead in Jonestown. And I'm not just talking about the horror of seeing that many people dead in one place, but getting the bodies home to their families was a huge deal in 1978, given that we're in Guyana. Yeah. You know, like it's they're decomposing at a rapid, rapid pace. They're in the hot, humid weather. There were so many that I actually saw a commercial when I was doing this this research. This commercial was running that said, like, claim the body of your loved one. They'll be shipped at your expense, though, for $450. (laughs) And some people had, like, their entire family there. Yeah. And I don't know what $450 was in 78, Billy, but maybe you can tell me. (laughs) You old man. (laughs) (laughs) You could buy a van for $450. Right. So they also cut to footage of these um, lower middle class individuals, like, how am I going to get my six family members home right. to bury them? It was so sad. And just getting the getting the manpower to even do it to Guyana. Like, think about just the logistics of that. It's something that goes largely underreported on. And it, it was a huge deal. Yeah. And to think that when they searched the, the camp, I don't even want to call it a town, when they searched the camp, they found all of these weapons. They found all the passports stacked together. And they also found $500,000 in currency. Mm. Which he had taken, and apparently there was even more that had been that he had gotten that was in bank accounts everywhere. Damn! And this commercial is is saying four hundred fifty dollars, which apparently was about eighteen hundred bucks. That's a lot. Why can't they people, use some you know, of the f-ing money everybody gave him? Yeah. It was probably uh, either embezzled or illegally confiscated. Money, anyways. Many used it for the cleanup. Honestly, like that had to happen. Yeah. It was like a biohazard. It, think about that much death in one place. God. So awful. Many of the bodies that were unclaimed, either due to lack of family or lack of money to get them back, um, they sat at the Dover Air Force Base in Delaware for six months because no cemeteries wanted to bury these bodies on their property. They thought that mourners would have weird cult rituals and that the burial sites of these people would attract people to commit suicides at the graves, which is so dark. It's so insane. Damn. There was one temple member, a guy named Larry Layton, who was tried in the U.S., and found uh, guilty of conspiring and aiding and abetting in the murder of Ryan. And he was sentenced to life in prison, but he was released in uh, 2002, actually. And I think there was another man named Charles Beckman who pled guilty to the attempted murder of a young girl and served a five-year prison sentence, but that was in Guyana. But as far as the survivors... They didn't just deal with survivor's guilt, but also with the, you know, the psychological implications of reintegrating back into normal life. Because you're not just, not only is so much, so many things been ripped apart from you, of your family, of your belief system, but now you got to go back into normal life. So following Jonestown, and obviously this was the biggest story, former Temple members, including those who had lost loved ones, um, they had some of their personal tragedies of their own. In 1979, Mike Prokes who was the temple's media relations man who escaped death in Jonestown. He called a press conference in a California motel room to defend the temple. And then he goes into the bathroom and kills himself with a gun. Insane. There's also the story of Al and Jeannie Mills, who are prominent defectors and opponents of Jones. They were found and murdered at their Berkeley, California home in 1980. And this crime remained unsolved. Which is, it's so odd. It's so crazy. So there was also Paula Adams, who was a former Temple staff member. She was murdered along with her child in 1983 by her ex-lover, Lawrence Mann, a former Guyanese ambassador to the U.S. He then killed himself. A year later, Tyrone Mitchell, whose parents and siblings died in Jonestown, fired a rifle at a Los Angeles schoolyard, killing one person and injuring more than 10 others before fatally shooting himself. And then there was Chad Rhodes, whose mother, Juanita Brogue, was pregnant with him in Jonestown. He was charged with killing a police officer in Oakland in 1999, around the time of Jonestown's 30th anniversary. Rhodes was reportedly serving a life in prison sentence without parole. Can I bring up Mike Prokes again? You can so, do whatever you want. So Mike Prokes was, the, was a former TV guy, 
and he left to join Jones and be his spokesperson. And he was one of the guys that had the suitcase full of money to go to Russia. Mm. And that's the reason why he survived. And he had a note that was found with his body. I heard about this note, but it was confusing. Don't accept anyone's analysis or hypothesis that this was the result of despondency over Jonestown. I could live and cope with despondency, nor was it an act of a disturbed or programmed mind in case anyone tries to pass it off as that. The fact is that a person can rationally choose to die for reasons that are just, and that's what, just what I did. If my death doesn't prompt another look at what brought about the end of Jonestown, then life wasn't worth living anyway. So even in death, he's trying to explain that all of these people in Jonestown took their lives well, rationally, and they chose to die for reasons so that are wait, just. When did he leave that note? In 79, when he killed himself in 79. So Wait, this guy killed himself after. out after so he's the, he's He killed the, himself after, so yeah. He's the guy, Jack. Who oh, released. he's the guy that shot himself in the head. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, like, if, if well, no the one... The fact could, that he was doing a press conference to defend Jonestown says so not. Bizarro world. I also want to side note this before I forgot to bring this up. <clears throat> because I almost have. Leo Ryan's daughter. Oh, joined a cult. Joined the Rajneeshis. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so... The daughter of Congressman Leo Ryan, she became a devoted follower of, obviously, the cult leader, uh, Bakwan, who's the Rajneeshi, you know, uh, cult head. And in many respects, obviously, the two cults bear striking similarities. And she said to a reporter in uh, 1981, I've heard other people say if Bakwan asked them to kill themselves, they would do it. But... If Bakwan asked them to kill someone else, they would do it. I don't know if my trust in him is that total. I would like it to be. I don't believe he would ever ask anyone to do that. So it doesn't matter. So she was 28 at the time. And she. So this happened in 81. This happened three years after her father was killed by a cult leader. So weird. So this is how powerful cults can be. You can be like the total antithesis of the type of person that would join a cult. uh, Presumably the daughter of a man murdered by a cult leader who was going to investigate the travesties that a cult was perpetrating. And she basically said that she considers the Indian guru, Bakwan Shri Rajneesh, a present-day incar- incarnation of Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad. But she said she sees no irony in her allegiance to him after what happened to her father, nor does she believe there are any parallels with Jones and the People's Temple to the Rajneeshis. Okay. That, I think, is the craziest odd thing about this story. Like, I know there are a lot of crazy things, but that's crazy because, I mean, I really do think Leo Ryan is one of the kind of, I'm not going to say unsung heroes, but he was about to, he was pulling the thread that would have unhinged this whole thing. As soon as he got back to the U.S., if he had survived. Oh, it would have been the end. That's why it happened. Exactly. So, I mean, I truly think he is an unsung hero and... To have your daughter do this three years later um, is insane. But he was awarded, I think, a... The Congressional Gold Medal. Congressional Gold Medal. Mm. And they named uh, a building after him. I don't know what your guys' favorite day of the week is, but I know what it probably isn't. It probably isn't Sundays, because Sundays are the days when all of the realizations of your responsibilities of the week become real. Luckily, we now have Sunday Scaries gummies, and they really do, I'm not kidding, provide a calm, clean sense of relief and just make you feel amazing and not like you're going to die the day before Monday. They're CBD gummies that are formulated with 10 milligrams isolate CBD, as well as vitamins B12 and D3 for mood boosters. And I need all of those. They are free of gluten, dairy, yeast, eggs, soy, and nuts. Sunday Scaries can be ordered online, sundayscaries.com, and shipped directly to you at your front door. And there's also subscription packages for reoccurring monthly orders. And right now, our listeners can buy Sunday Scaries with a 10% discount and free shipping at sundayscaries.com using promo code FIRSTDEGREE. And that's sundayscaries.com. Promo code first degree. And as a reminder, there's no THC. They're not psychoactive. You're not going to get high the night before Monday, which is the worst, <laughs> the worst night of the week. They're just going to make you feel great and enjoy your Sunday night as Sundays are meant to be enjoyed. 
about how life went on for some of the survivors. So let's hear how it went on for Jordan and for Jim Jones Jr. And so, um, you know, later on, I could really uh, make, in a way, kind of articulate to myself and to the people that I speak with about what what was really taking place and just the complexity of the situation because most people I would say don't realize how complex the situation of People Simple was. It was extremely complex. Um, I mean, part of me is like, where is the time gone? And yet when I look back on the things that I've done since that time, it is a long time. And I have done many things since then. But, you know, it's always there. It's such a huge part of my life and um, what has shaped me. I will say that our first degree connections, what they've said is that this is a mass murder. And I think it's one of the great debates mm-hmm. in um relation to this case because obviously the pop culture components and like the idioms that people say insinuate that it was a mass suicide and he he did call it revolutionary suicide but when you look at actually the facts like i don't know jack what do you think i like i said before it's just like i feel like if you are kind of uneducated on what exactly happened and the control that he had over people and also literally the physical control that he had like people if they weren't drinking the drink willingly, they're being injected by poison or they're being shot to death. So I don't know in what world that you could say that is a suicide if you're being injected with poison. So I don't even know if that's really a debate. Is it? I don't see it as a debate. No, this, yeah. was, this was flat out murder. And he might have had a smaller group. But as long as there's one person there that doesn't agree and is trying to get away and then you kill them or force them to do something, mm-hmm. that's murder. And then... You know, you know, you you have two, three, four, five. This guy is a mass murderer. Well, let's not forget the fact that there were a bunch of kids there. Like there There were two hundred babies and more than three hundred children. So half of the people that were killed were kids or babies. So, so that is a disgusting, straight up murder. Yeah, totally. And they also found a number of the dead with bent needles in their arms. So it's not like they injected themselves. It's like. Bent means it was like a struggle, like running. They were like jamming it into their, or or they were fighting or whatever. Absolutely. And my big question is, I don't know if either of you will know this. The guards, were they like super committed to the suicide, which is why they were committed as guards? Who was prompting them and holding them to it? I mean, you're always going to use as your guards your most trusted people, and those are going to be the people that are. But are they gonna... killed themselves or killed each other after. I'm just curious yeah. about how yeah. that played out. If like after they waited for everybody else, then they're like, that's the right, thing. They're like, there's like four of them left, Jim Jones and them, and he's like, I'll kill myself. You guys, it's like I'd be like, no, dude, you first. <laughs> like, and I have a gun, so. <laughs> Uh, it's I can't I can't imagine being there. I can't wrap my head around anything. It's crazy to think that there was somebody that was there that is still here to tell the story and, and tell it to not us. That old? No, because he was. You know, he's got to be. He's under sixty if he was eighteen when it happened. Mm-hmm. And it's just like he's. He also has like a normal job and he's remarried. He's got three kids. I saw a documentary. He took his kids down to Jonestown. I wonder what's there. Nothing. Jungle. Um, and they were with their they were with their How brother his Steven. Kids? His kids were younger. They were like uh, this was in this documentary was in ninety eight mm. and the kids looked to be about ten in that ballpark. Oh god, they have no idea what the hell's going on. No, and uh Stephen Jones, his uh Jim Jones's biological son was also there and they were like pulling like transparencies from the ground from like their schoolhouse and it was just oh, this gosh. crazy crazy thing but what's interesting and billy you might know more about this is that guyana in the recent years has entertained turning jonestown into sort of one of these like dark attractions what yeah like uh they're trying to promote tourism in their country so they were entertaining making it like a let's turn jonestown into like something people can visit like a dark attraction but like like a manson family tour like like have putting a hotel there mm. and having people be able to come and like visit the Jonestown like the Liz- site. the Lizzie Borden house, which is a bed and breakfast now. Mm. Right. They were trying to do something like that. 
Interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. It's kind of grotesque, but it's not unlike a lot of things things. that are exploited. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this this event is really unusual and that it still feels really raw. Yeah. Well, and I think that has to do with the fact that there is so many... It was so well documented that... And there's so much content. It does feel like it's just happened. You're right, though. The fact that that it was documented, you can totally separate yourself from it. Like it was like written in a book, like a fiction novel when you you've never really seen any of these people. But like you can hear the audio of uh, after he commanded the suicide of this one woman. I think her name's Christine Smith. She speaks out and she's like, why do I have to die? Because people left like these other people defected. And he's like, you're saying I have to die. Like, why? And people start berating her like, and there's a few who are die hard, like yeah. I'm ready to die. There aren't that many, but it makes it so real. Like, oh, I mean, names, well, the fact that you, you can hear their, the fear in their voices, mm-hmm. you know, no, you hear different. everything. And that's something, I mean, it's not like you're getting, you know, audio and visual components of when like Ted Bundy killed somebody. Like it's, it's such a weird thing that you don't usually get in a situation like that so that's what makes it even more like stabbed you a little bit but the idea that so many people that that a person can have control over that many people and then the mass suicide we saw it in solar temple between 94 and and 97 then we saw it in heaven's gate what's solar temple i don't know what solar temple is either uh the order of solar temple is in quebec oh yeah, it was those guys in Quebec. Heaven's Gate, you guys know that one, right? I know everything about Heaven's Gate. Yeah, so that was 39 people. And and again, remember, and I, I know I keep talking about the internet. Solar Temple, 94 to 97, right at the beginning of the internet. Heaven's Gate, 97. There was a thing called Adam, Adam House uh, in 2007 in Bangladesh. That was a family of nine that were all members of this cult that, that committed mass suicide by, um, by train. But you, you haven't, we haven't really seen that big of a one you know since then Mm -hmm. uh certainly not at the numbers that we've seen in uh in heaven's gate and i think it really is it's the the fact that we are so connected with everybody and we know what's going on in people's lives and if people stop talking on the internet potentially or stop texting or whatever over you know within a a week or two weeks we're like all right what's going on and then you can kind of grab somebody back and pull them out of that abyss that they might be falling into yeah it's it's way too easy to contact somebody now if there yeah is something going on the internet does a lot of bad things but the one good thing is that jim jones's whole thing was like let's die for this cause but i will also say that one of the most poignant things that jim jones jr said was What he said about being committed to a cause was much more powerful than what his dad was preaching. You know, I mean, you you wonder why you're still living. And so, you know, I'm angry at him for everything that I was taught, you know, a family and purpose and, you know, um, working with others as civil rights platform, as social justice platform, for him to turn his complete back on that and, you know, uh, go for this action of revolutionary suicide. Now, it was interesting. You know, he first heard that point in Cuba when he met Huey Newton. But it was interesting. Huey Newton said, you know, you have to be willing to commit revolutionary suicide, like the Vietnam monk who poured gasoline on himself to protest the imperialism of the United States. But the real challenge is living for a cause. Because when you die for a cause, it's done. It's quit. It's over. I mean, the act of killing yourself is horrific. But to live for a cause is harder. And that's because you have to wake up every day and have that commitment that everything you do is for this cause and belief that you want to build a new world. And it seemed like my father turned on that. Billy was making fun of me in my notes here. But the idea of drinking the Kool-Aid is this Jonestown-inspired language. And it was not Kool-Aid. It was Flavor-Aid. <laughs> and it didn't just have cyanide in it. It also had a touch of Valium. 
probably to calm everybody down. Yeah, no shit. No, but I like poor Kool Aid. Oh, totally. They just got thrown under the but bus. It press- never really hurt them, though. I always, I wonder that again with Heaven's Gate. I'm like, must have been a bad day for Nike, Nike PR. Nike helped. Yeah, I think Nike is has survived though. Totally. So does Kool Aid. Kool Aid has survived. Flavor Aid yeah. hasn't necessarily survived. I no, mean, Flavor Aid's I mean, out. Do you think that they got Flavor Aid because he was a cheap ass? A hundred percent. They've said that before. Oh, really? Because yes. he didn't want to like go for the Kool Aid because it was expensive. That's right. But obviously, we touched on this at the beginning. The cult craze and some ways like maybe it's this enthusiasm for all things vintage but in other ways maybe it's us enduring like sex and violence in the media and this appeal for stories about people adopting alternative lifestyles which involves this communal living and a return to nature and it might be further explained by frustrations of late stage capitalist society and growing anxieties about climate change So I've been talking about True Car for the past couple weeks. So if you are ready to buy or sell or trade in a car and you don't use True Car, I'm going to be so mad at you. Well, you can't put a price tag on the stories that you've had in your car over the years. With True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. You just go to True Car and you simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. You answer a few questions. If you have like navigation in a moonroof or whatever, you watch as they bump up your value. And if you have high mileage you already knew that was going to cost you but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead which we love doing once you're finished you'll get a true car cash offer sent in minutes which will take you to a local certified dealer to cash or trade in your car so when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car check out true car today and true car cash offer is not available in all areas but go check out to see which areas that it's in true car we love them so much because we are so connected, it's interesting to think, can, you know, we, oh, we, we constantly talk about history repeating itself, and it does. It happens over and over and over again. But it's so different, and we are so connected more than we ever have before. Mm-hmm. Before, I mean, think about that. In the last 20 years, we were so much more connected than we were years and years, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years. Can this happen at such a mass level? I think it'll happen at a small level, definitely. But can actually 900 people go into the the you know because they went with him Mm -hmm. they were under his spell so they obviously they got on the plane they went with him once they got there everything went to hell but can that happen again i don't think in the way that it can but it's like things just change and the way that people want control changes and i mean there was like a whole like the rise of the cults back in the 70s and now if somebody wants to kill a lot of people they're gonna go shoot up a mall like it's how things just change with society and with the internet now the message was a significant message even though the situation was dysfunctional (laughs) Um, but the message and the thing that people went there for was one of social justice and doing good things in the world People think that people were just blind followers, and and they weren't. There were people were very loving, very educated, very giving, and things became stagnant and um, unproductive, and just spiraled down. People think of junk, uh, People's Temple as this one little time of when we were in Guyana, and it was a long period of time that over that progressively we became more isolated and more closed in and separated from the world people who were part of people's temple were just ordinary people that wanted to do good things that wanted to be a part of something significant this is something that is not really an isolated story i mean it is isolated but it's a human story and I know that people get it when I'm told, you know, I would have been, I probably would have been a member too. Okay, number one, I just need to like talk about how the fact that this is the craziest first degree connection that I think that we could ever have. Totally. Ever. Like, so thank you to 
Jim Jones Jr., Jordan Valchez. For yeah. and, and we're yeah, where are we going to find somebody that is the son of a of somebody that killed nine hundred people? Yeah, that's pretty wild. I still it still does not feel like yeah. The magnitude is on another level. Um, but if you, the listener, has a first degree connection to a murder or crazy story, please write us. Hello at the first degree podcast.com or you can go to our website, the first degree podcast, click on the submissions page and tell us your story. Or if you would like to DM any of us, we check all of our DMs on Instagram at Jack Vanek, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, or at the first degree. And Billy, are you going to do our sign off? <laughs> Keep your cults. Cl- I don't know. Keep your cults. I don't have anything.